0: C.S. Lewis, in his great book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, depicted Jesus as a great and mighty lion, a strong and powerful animal that roared rather than purred. And in that book, there is a great moment where Mr. Beaver is asked to describe Aslan the lion. And he's asked whether he is safe. And his reply is one of the most famous lines in the book. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. C.S. Lewis could very well have been reading John's gospel as he wrote that line. Because John's gospel really challenges any notion that Jesus was safe. Instead, it presents an account of Jesus that is both provocative and shocking. A Jesus who seemingly disregards years of Jewish tradition and custom. A Jesus that strikes raw nerves by stripping away the comfort blankets of stale religious rituals and ceremonies. (coughs) In John's Gospel, Jesus is not a weak figure. Rather, his teaching was packed with authority and vigor, and his actions shook the hierarchy of the time to the core. Indeed, in no time at all, Jesus was not just deemed unsafe, he was seen as a threat. His impact was so inflammatory, so disturbing, that it seemed to leave the religious leaders with no choice. In order to protect all those who might come into contact with him, his threat had to be extinguished. In just three short years, Jesus would be hanging from a cross. The nails in his hands, a mark of just how deeply he had challenged the leaders of the time. Jesus was certainly not safe. So why was Jesus such a threat to the teachers of the law? Why did he present such a challenge to the religious elite? Well, this passage gives us a clue. Because in it, we find a Jesus who breaks a whole catalogue of customs. Indeed, in Jesus' meeting with the Samaritan woman, the rule book appears to have been torn up. He is seen to flout traditions that have been lovingly passed down through the centuries. Jesus is not just being a little provocative here, his actions would have really shocked those who heard of them. The first rule that Jesus breaks are the food laws of Israel. <coughs> It clearly stated that you must not share a cup or any utensil with a non-Jew. If you so much as touched a cup held by a non-Jew at a meal, you instantly became unclean and would need to go to the priest. Yet here, Jesus asked a non-Jew to pass him a drink. What is more, this is a Samaritan Now, you might not share a cup with a non-Jew, but you don't share anything with a Samaritan. You don't stand near them, you don't look at them, and you certainly don't speak to them. By Jesus' day, Samaritans were abhorrent to the Jews. When Assyria had conquered the northern Israel in the Old Testament, the people of Samaria had intermarried with them. They'd taken on some of their pagan beliefs and gods. And this was seen by the Jews as an act of contamination. <clears throat> contamination of the marriage bed and their religion. But if that was not enough on its own for conflict, the extent of this animosity had recently reached a raging climax. Because just before this was written, the Samaritans had refused to worship in Jerusalem. And as a sign of that, they desecrated the Jerusalem temple by throwing human bones into it. And that was the final straw. (laughs) The Samaritans were no longer just enemies. They were the scum of the earth and to be avoided at all costs. Yet suddenly, here in this story, Jesus is found not only talking with a Samaritan, but asking to share a cup with one. This would have set the original hearer's teeth on edge. Their fists would have been clenching as they heard about it. Yet this disregard for the rule book has only just begun. For this person was not only a Samaritan, but she was a woman as well. In the first century, rabbis <coughs> did not talk to women. They certainly did not discuss theology <coughs> and the law with them. In fact, it was the common thought that to teach women and girls was not only a waste of time, but it was profaning the sacred. Jesus was well out of line here, showing a lack of respect to Jewish customs. Yet still he's not finished. Not only was he talking with a woman, but he's talking with a woman by herself in private. Now, Jesus is male, and he's single, and everybody knew that it was completely wrong to meet a woman on those terms. Just meeting her like this exposed Jesus to the insult of being sexually immoral. And that immorality is only heightened further when we find out that not only is this a woman, a woman who's alone, but she's a scandalous woman. This is an adulteress. This was a woman who'd been banished from her family and society For bringing shame upon them. Two thousand years ago no religious person would associate with someone like this. Just in meeting her Jesus would have been seen to be condoning her behavior. So in this story Jesus is seen to break all the rules. He was as far from being safe as you could possibly imagine. And if we're in any doubt as to how deeply Jesus is challenging the system here, John very cleverly evokes memories of a great Jewish love story. He does it in verse 6 by mentioning Jacob's well. In Genesis 24, Abraham sends his servant out to find his son Isaac a suitable wife. The servant seeks guidance from God and states that the girl who is kind and generous enough to offer him a drink from the well would become Isaac's wife. And suddenly in Genesis 24, we meet the delightful Rebecca. Not only is she described as young and beautiful, she was from the best of families. She was loved by those who knew her. And most importantly, she was a virgin. And in this love story by the well, the beautiful girl offers the servant a drink and goes on to become the mother to Jacob. Rebecca was a heroine of Israel. The comparison evoked between the Samaritan woman and Rebecca is stark. She is not young and beautiful, she is middle aged and used. She is not from the best of families. She is a Samaritan. She is not well loved. She was the stigma of society. And most appallingly, after five husbands, she was certainly no virgin. Jesus has turned the history of Israel and this cherished story of the patriarchs on its head. When he is seen to reach out to this woman, he has gone past the point of being a little bit provocative. What is he doing? The original hearers of this would have thought that this was outrageous. Yet equal to their outrage at what Jesus had done would be their complete disregard to the emotions and the fragility of the woman. In the society of the time, both marriage and divorce occurred at the whim of the male. And the fact that she'd had five husbands and was now with another showed that she had been rejected five times. Kicked out of the house and treated like a possession no longer needed by its male owner. And having been rejected by five men who supposedly loved her, She's then abandoned by her family for being a social failure. And as a result of this rejection, she then becomes ensnared in what would probably have been an abusive relationship with a sixth man. She is now being used like a toy. For this, she's been banished by the community, forced to collect water only when she can make it to the well and back with no one seeing her. Did you notice that she goes at noon? Not because it'll be nice and light, but because it's so hot, it's guaranteed that no one else will be around. When Jesus meets her, she will be exhausted. Sweat will be dripping from her brow. Her skin will be burning in the hot Middle Eastern sun. This woman is isolated. And her isolation is so clearly demonstrated in this story by the fact that she remains nameless throughout it. This woman then has been used and abused. She is alone and afraid. Indeed, she's lost everything. She's been been rejected and kicked out with the rubbish. And as the meeting progresses... And Jesus begins to reveal her life's history. You can really sense the depth of her pain. She desperately tries to change the topic of the conversation. She'd rather talk about issues of theology than her terrible past. We're left in no doubt that this woman is deeply suffering. She is broken. In light of all the Jewish traditions that Jesus breaks... His actions here are some of the most beautiful and heartwarming anywhere in the Bible. He does not condemn this woman for being an adulteress, but quietly listens to her story. In doing so, he gives her dignity and respect. The dignity and respect that the six men and the community, and indeed the religious elite, had so forcefully stolen from her. And Jesus goes further still. Not only does he give her the attention that no one else would. He then embraces her into his truth. Jesus is not the only person who would just quietly listen to her. But he was also the only person who would speak to her. And what incredible words he spoke. First of all he makes the promise of living water. that wows up to eternal life. And then. This woman becomes the first person in history that those famous words, I am, get said to by Jesus. I am he, he says in verse 26. I am the Messiah. This is the only time in the whole gospel, other than his trial, that Jesus specifically declares he is the Messiah. And who does he say it to? It's not to a religious leader. It's not to a pious disciple. It's not to a chief priest. It's to an unclean Samaritan who is hurting. A woman in the pits of despair. And by telling her this great truth of who he is, Jesus doesn't just accept the woman. He shows that he loves her. In asking her to draw water for him, he is actively declaring to her, you are not worthless. You are not beyond hope. You are still a beautiful child of God, and I love you. You see, Jesus didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. Keeping the law is not about legalistic traditions. It is about love. It is about coming to know that God loves you. Loving him in return and then showing this love to others. And Jesus here demonstrates the real heart of God. Yes, to the Jews, this was outrageous, but this is true mercy and forgiveness at work. This is the beauty of God at its peak. This is the God we worship. No, Jesus is not safe. But he is certainly good. (coughs) And the wonder of God's grace is that this offer of acceptance is still open to us today. In Jesus, a new order has begun and there is nobody who is not loved by God or who cannot become one of his people. In John chapter 3, just a few weeks ago, we read the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Nowhere in scripture is that whoever clearer than is here. Surely that's why John has placed this story where he has. To show just how broad that whoever is. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done. This offer of God's love is open to you. God longs to meet with you in your brokenness. He longs to meet with you in your pain and your despair. Whether you feel rejected or lonely or desperate for acceptance, whether you know you've gone wrong and need forgiveness, God longs to embrace you today. Yet this passage ends with an inescapable challenge. When the disciples return to Jesus towards the end of the story, They're shocked to find him with the woman. At this, Jesus makes a big announcement. He tells them that the harvest is ready. Now this would have puzzled the disciples because everyone knew that the harvest was still four months away. Yet seeing their bewilderment, Jesus instructs them to open their eyes. Not their earthly eyes but that's to start looking at people with his eyes. The harvest was ready, but it was in the places that they would least expect. It was ready in the lives of the people, like the Samaritan woman. And the same challenge applies to us today. The harvest is ready in the hearts of the desperate and the needy, the used and the abused, the lonely and the dispossessed. It's ready in the hearts of those people who we try and distance ourselves from. The harvest is ready in the lives of those who make us anxious and uncomfortable. The Samaritan men and women of this world who've been rejected and beaten by their partners and are now with those who are not their partners. It's also ready in the lives of those people who've hurt us. Even if it was in the long distant past, but we still cannot bring ourselves to talk to them let alone forgive them. On the cross, Jesus broke down all the barriers. He refused to be bound by our prejudices. He offered grace and mercy to all. And this grace so transformed the life of the Samaritan woman that she quickly became a missionary. Indeed, in John's gospel, she's the first Gentile missionary. You see, she just had to tell others about the love that she had come to know. She even went and told those who previously used and abused her, the very village that had made her life a misery and left her collecting water in the heat of the sun. To the Samaritan woman, nobody should miss out on hearing about Jesus. So this beautiful story that shows us the wonderful, gracious heart of God ends with a challenge. The question is, are we prepared to do the same? Are we prepared to share this grace that we have received, to tell others of the God who loves them? That task might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable at times when God takes us to the people we might least expect, but then we don't worship a God who is safe. We worship a God who is very, very good.